Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Back in action. Triple Threat Theater. Episode 48. I'm Joe Daxberger. 48? I'm Ryan Miller. Millsy. Mm-hmm. End of season four. Can you believe we're already here? Uh, no. I mean, I feel like it's been plenty of times where I've been like, how long have we been doing this show? We have how many episodes? How many posters have we made? <laughs> that's, I think, the thing that surprises me every now and then when I like to look at the folder in my phone where I have them all saved. Mm-hmm. It's just like, man, where's the time going? Yeah. Digging in them poster trenches. <laughs> Digging in them movie trenches. Oh, yeah, boy. Um, well, I mean, quite frankly, what a better way to end the season than with this SFVD. Mm-hmm. Another episode that is named with an abbreviation because it uh, involves a specific actor. It just feels like that's how we've done it so far. <laughs> yeah. And... uh uh, it just makes sense now. I mean, plus, well, come on, say it. SFVD is sci-fi Van Damme. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Part of me wants to think this one would be easier for people because people know like JCVD, mm-hmm. SFVD. But I don't know. I know if I was looking at I mean, I'm never one to figure these kind of things out. So I probably <laughs> would be like, what the hell is that? Well, our previous episode where we did this was APNY, which was Al Pacino mm-hmm. New York movies. So I wonder if anybody was, like, going down the rabbit hole of San Francisco Van Damme movies. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that'd be something. I can only hope. (laughs) But yeah, sci-fi and Van Damme. Sci-fi Van Damage. Sci-fi and 80s action stars just kind of goes hand in hand, doesn't it? I mean, it's glorious. I mean, if you really stop and look at it, like Arnold Schwarzenegger has like a good 10, 15 movie run of like action films from the 80s and 90s. And maybe more than not are sci-fi films because you've got your Terminator, Terminator 2, you got your Predator, you got Total Recall. Mm -hmm. Running Man. Running Man is another one, yeah. Sort of kind of the Conan movies, not exactly sci-fi, but... Also not exactly realistic or mm-hmm. <laughs> set I mean, in the real world. I mean, we talked not too long ago about uh, Stallone and his seeming obsession in the 90s with starting a science fiction like action franchise and how it just yeah. never worked out between like Demolition Man, which we've reviewed, and Judge Dredd, which we've, re- we've reviewed. Mm-hmm. I mean, certainly in our eyes, like sci-fi has always been cool. So it is cool to think back like those guys embracing sci-fi and not just having to be straight action movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you even just like think about like how like crazy of a movie like Total Recall is, <laughs> yeah. that it would have like the biggest actor of the time too. You know, like yeah, you know, it is wild to think about. I mean, it, it it's certainly prevalent today. I mean, even from sci-fi to superhero movies. I mean, yeah, anyone will be in those. So even just look at the like the modern track record of uh 
like uh, Tom Cruise. You know, he's got his Mission Impossible films, which are bridging on sci-fi with some of like the tech and gear that they work with these days. But even beyond that, with stuff like Oblivion and Edge of Tomorrow, stemming back to like yeah. Minority Report Minority in the beginning Report. of the 2000s. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just kind of feels like sci-fi and action go hand in hand. I mean, it's, you know, obvious, like there's always sci-fi action movies, but it's not something I ever really thought about, like how freaking many of them there are. Like, yeah. If you think about that group of guys in the 80s and 90s who were doing action films, like they were all doing a ton of sci-fi movies as well, it seems. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. And uh, I mean, same thing goes for Van Damme. Yeah, our boy Van Damme, he didn't hold back either. No. I mean, Millsy, we've got Cyborg from 1989. Sure do. Universal Soldier from 92. Gotta have it. And that hot damn time cop from 94. <laughs> yes, sir. I mean, had you seen all of these before? Uh, I have. I mean, three strong names. They're all great. <laughs> I pr- I've only seen Time Cup once, now twice. I want to say Cyborg was probably just maybe a few times watching. We'll get into it, but watching it, I was like, I remembered some stuff, but had forgotten quite a bit of it. Mm-hmm. And then, like, I could almost like consider myself like growing up on Universal Soldier. Like watched it frequently. Loved it. I mean, it came out when I was 10, so yeah. I had seen that one a few times myself. Uh this was my second watch for the other two. Mhm. What kind of history with those is does it go way back or was that more recent st- watches? Universal Soldier, I can't tell you the first time I've seen it, but I've seen it a couple of times over the over the years. Uh That was like OG Van Damme for me. I forget if we've really talked about it before. We probably have. We've talked about enough of these kind of movies, but I was primarily a a Schwarzenegger and then Jackie Chan guy when it came to action, Mm -hmm. like uh, Rambo and Rocky. Like I didn't even see any of those movies until like high school or later. Mm -hmm. So like Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren a little bit here and there, but um, then like Time Cop, I think the one time I watched it, I forget if it was like when we were in high school or maybe after we graduated, but Brian and I watched it together. I think just like we're both like, oh, we should watch Time Cop. And then we did. And that's the only memory I have of ever watching it. Nice. And then uh, Cyborg at some point uh, got myself a Blu-ray copy. Um, I know I had a version of it on Blu-ray before Shout Factory put theirs out. So, Uh, but yeah, I've only seen it the one time and. So this was the second time for me on that one, and uh, first time watching the lovely Shout Factory edition. Nice. Yeah. Outside of these, even, what kind of history do you have with Van Damme? Like, I, I've i seen a bunch of his movies, primarily, like, one time each, so I don't have, like, a huge history with him, but mm-hmm. outside of Universal mean, Soldier, that is. I would say, I mean, I technically definitely like have a lot of history now that i think about even like looking at the list i mean we just me and my brothers like just grew up watching action movies like my mom loved sylvester stallone and boxing so we like would watch rocky the rocky series all the time i mean rocky 4 could legitimately be one of the movies i've seen the most in my life (laughs) yep so that kind of like stemmed into to be honest i think i've seen like Rambo two and three more than first blood just cause those were like on a lot. And like, we would just watch those. I mean, I've always been into Terminator, Terminator two, like 
Seagal. It's like anything like <laughs> growing up with like sci-fi action monsters. I mean, it's just kind of all that stuff. And then like, like all at the same time getting into like martial arts and Kung Fu stuff. So I watched, I think like all like the main Seagals. I've seen all the OG Van Damme stuff like many times over. I mean, I've, I've probably seen, I mean, Universal Soldiers is probably the one I've seen the most, but Bloodsport and Kickboxer I've seen a bunch of times. I mean, Lionheart is like a classic. Yeah, I've seen all of those one time each, uh, Kickboxer, yeah. Bloodsport, Lionheart. Uh, hell, uh, you were talking about Seagal. It wasn't until uh, last year that I like sat down and, like, I think the only Seagal movie I had seen was uh, Executive Decision, which isn't really even a Seagal <laughs> right. movie. Yeah. Oh, well, uh, that and Under Siege. And mm-hmm. then, like, his two big ones, like, you know, right. uh, most kind of, like, popular ones or whatever. And then yeah, uh, had to be like, how can I call myself an action fan if I haven't seen the rest of these? And so I did, like, a seven-movie marathon. Mm-hmm. Which is a good time right there. Yeah, it was uh, interesting, to say the least. But Yeah. But I mean, I spent just like years and years of just feels like almost just action in those kind of movies for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, those like the tender ages of like eight, nine, ten to whatever. Like just watching all these action heroes over and over. <laughs> yeah, like, it was pretty regular in the Daxberger household. So. Yeah, yeah, I watched a lot of this stuff too. But um, I don't know. I feel like I like often would go back to the same ones that I knew that I liked and. Mm-hmm wasn't until later that i started like stretching out a bit and trying some of the others you know as we like to say around here you've seen the best now it's time to watch the rest <laughs> right <laughs> yeah i was looking forward to rewatching a couple of these because uh, like i say time cop i hadn't seen in a long time cyborg had only been the once so mm-hmm. yeah man i was pretty excited when this one came up so mm-hmm. i mean we should just get right into it what do you say all right movie number one cyborg from 1989. Who are you? Why did you help me? I thought it was somebody else. I can trust you. For what? To get me back to Atlanta. There's a group of doctors there, the last ones. They've been working on a cure for the plague. They need information I have. I swear it's the truth. I'm a cyborg. They created me to retrieve data from a computer system here in the city. Take you to Atlanta, and they'll give me the cure. And if you don't... 
Power Show. This film was directed by your pal Albert Pyun. Mm-hmm. Famous for? Famous for. Do you know? Um, I know you've told me. I forget right now, so <laughs> break it down for me and the people. Well, he directed uh, films called Radioactive Dreams and Alien from L.A. Mm-hmm. Then, most known to probably wide audiences, even though a lot of them probably haven't seen it or haven't seen it in a long time, the 1990 live-action Captain America movie. Yes. Where That's Captain it. America's ears were molded onto the outside of Oof. his mask for some reason. Brutal. That's also a brutal movie. gave us Kickboxer 2 and 4, mm-hmm. Dollman, Nemesis 1 through 4, Brain Smasher Love Story starring Andrew Dice Clay and Terry Hatcher. Oh, of course. And Omega Doom, which I believe stars Rudger Hauer. I mean, this is strong titles. <laughs> Suffice to say that Albert Pion is a low-budget filmmaker. <laughs> sure. Man, have you seen that Captain America movie? Oh, yeah. It is not very good. Uh, <laughs> no. The Italian Red Skull and everything. It's right. very much seared in my brain. <laughs> I mean, I haven't seen Kickboxer 2 and 4. Looking through his filmography, there's a lot of like really crappy-looking stuff. He worked with... Uh, the likes of Tim Thomerson and other like small time guys are like, you know, Rudger Hauer is like a name actor. But if you look at his filmography, the vast majority of the stuff that he did was like shitty low budget action movies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of Albert Pion's ballpark. And based on what I've seen and what I know about him, I'm tempted to say that Cyborg may be his best film. <laughs> but. Uh, as we'll talk about in a little while, it's questionable whether you can call it his best film. Mm. Milsey, I just, you know, I'm very familiar with these three movies. So I was like, I did some like poking around in the, the IMDb and the Wikipedia just to see see what's cooking. I had no idea the backstory to the creation of this movie side. Oh, you did not know about this? No, sir. Oh, I was well-versed in this. I um, was not and <laughs> couldn't believe it when I read it. Please. So Cyborg is a canon film. Big fans of canon around here. Oh, yeah. It came towards the end of canon's heyday. Uh, you know, they were big through the 80s, but then things started to fall apart in the late 80s. Uh, and the company went through some changes in the early 90s and then finally fizzled out sometime around like 95 And so they had made Masters of the Universe, Mm -hmm. and they had deals in place at Canon Films to make Masters of the Universe 2, and they actually had a deal. They were going to make a Spider-Man movie, like a live-action Spider-Man movie. Both of these films were to be directed by Albert Pyun, (laughs) director of Cyborg. Man. And uh, they were supposed to be filmed simultaneously. The, The way I understand it, is that, you know, if you watch like, um, they don't really go into this this much, that much in the uh, recent Tom Holland Spider-Man movies, but like if you look at the first uh, Sam Raimi, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie, you know, Peter Parker starts as kind of like a scrawny nerd, and then after he gets bitten by the radioactive spider, you know, it changes his body, and all of a sudden he's like muscular and strong. And can see good. Yeah. And so, like, they do that stuff in the Sam Raimi movie with CG, where, like, the one scene you see him with his shirt off when he's a nerd, they make him look all scrawny. 
But obviously, 1989, they didn't have the ability to do that with CG. So my understanding is the plan was they were going to hire an actor who wasn't in like the most amazing physical shape. And they were going to film all of the pre-Spider Powers scenes with him like his normal self. Mm-hmm. Then they were going to take a break for like from filming that movie for like six or eight months or something. Mm. During that time, the guy was going to work out nonstop. And so that when they came back to filming, he would be like buff and Spider-Man looking. Mm-hmm. And that's how they would like do the quote unquote effect. And then in the meantime, while he was like over there working out, getting ready for the second half of the movie, they would film Masters of the Universe 2 with the same director and maybe the same crew in the meantime. And sets and everything? I don't, I don't, I don't think they were going to share the same sets necessarily. But anyway, so the two movies were going to film kind of simultaneously. So they were making costumes and sets for both films basically at the same time when they ran into money troubles and had to drop both films from their slate. But they mm-hmm. had already dumped approximately $2 million, from what I understand, into yes. prepping for these movies. <laughs> and so they were like, well, we need to do something fast and cheap so that we can use this stuff and not just like lose all that money. And so they said to Albert Pion, like, what have you got for us? And he allegedly wrote the script for Cyborg over the course of a weekend, basically just combining two other scripts that he had. Mm-hmm. And uh, gave it to Golan and Globus at Canon Films, and they were, you know, desperate for something, so they were like, yeah, let's do it. Yeah. But the thing is... That's amazing. What Albert Pion was planning, and what the film actually ended up being, and then what the film actually ended up looking like after they shot it versus what they shot, are apparently very different. Yeah. Albert Pion had wanted the movie to be a rock opera, with no spoken dialogue, and he wanted it to be uh, shown in stark black and white. Uh, Obviously, that did not come to fruition. So that's the reason why the characters are all named after... I think so. Instruments. Yeah, musical, like pretty, all after guitars, actually. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Character names such as Gibson Rickenbacker, uh, Fender Tremolo, Pearl Prophet, Marshall Strat... Furman Vux. Yeah, these are all like guitar references, which uh, I never knew before. I mean, obviously, some of some of those things sound kind of familiar, but I also don't know if I ever really dove into the names of the characters in these movies. Right. I don't know what kind of people like Golan and Globus were, but can you imagine if they're like losing their hair over losing out on those two movies just to get this guy to like give us something fast and he delivers a silent rock opera? (laughs) Yeah, like to the point where after they filmed the movie, obviously it wasn't like a musical or whatever, but the f- like one of the first times he screened the finished film for like the producers, he put in a bunch of temp metal music and uh, f- showed it in black and white and everybody hated it. <laughs> and so they changed it. Yeah. And so basically at the end of the day, whatever it was that uh, Albert Pion had shot and shown didn't go over super well with uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's camp. Mm-hmm. And so they complained to Golan and Globus, and Jean-Claude Van Damme ended up getting final cut of the movie. That's pretty wild. 
and they like changed the plot. Um, I don't remember. I watched the interview with Albert Pion on the Blu-ray. I don't remember exactly what his original plan for it was, but uh, like the whole concept of like the the plague that's wiping out mankind, mm-hmm. which is mentioned at the beginning of the movie, and then like there's one shot in the middle somewhere of somebody with like boils all over their face screaming, uh, but otherwise it's not really mentioned. They never explain it. That was added by Jean-Claude Van Damme and his people. And so, yeah, Albert Pion claims to have never seen the actual finished version of the movie that was released. But Did you say Van Damme and his people added the plague stuff? Yeah. Oh, wow. And and I kind of believe it because, again, you only hear about it at the very beginning and then, oh, yeah. like, see one person in the middle. Because, like, throughout the movie, I was thinking, like, what is the deal with this plague? Like... Right. Yeah, we're in a post-apocalypse, but I it, it doesn't scream like everybody's sick to me or something. Right. Or can get sick again or anything. Yeah. Huh. That's wild, man. It's, I mean, the, I feel like the days are past where you're going to get these kind of movies that happen like that, but... Oh, man, I love it. Yeah, I just feel like anybody that's going to throw, you know, the modern equivalent of the amount of money that Golan and Globus were throwing at stuff back then mm-hmm. wants to have much more control during all stages of the process yeah like based on everything i've heard and read about uh the canon films and the way that golden globus ran that place it was basically about like get name actors get a deal in place and get something made and then worry about like everything else later Mm -hmm. like we'll fix it in post kind of thing right i mean regardless of quality of this movie i read they made it made like 10 million bucks so for a movie strictly created just to recoup some funds, that's pretty good. Yeah, so uh, the alleged budget, not including the amount of money that went into like all the sets and stuff before they even planned to make this movie, mm-hmm. uh, was apparently 500000 and then the movie made a, in the vicinity of $10 million. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it worked out in the end for them. It wasn't enough to save the company because, again, they were kind of on a downward spiral at this point. But... Right, right. It's just... Uh you know, bailing out the ship at that point. All good things must come to an end. It's true. Can of films. RIP. Hmm. But uh, yeah, the movie itself, I'll admit the, you know, the world that it takes place in isn't the most convincing. Like they have some sets that are like ramshackle cities. And then the majority of the film is just filmed out in nature where, Right. You know, there's no people around and there's no buildings, so you don't have to worry about does it look run down because it just looks like there's nobody there. So mm-hmm. it's just like you could say that nature reclaimed this place or you could just say the majority of the movie takes place away from cities. But either way, right. it, like, it means that they didn't have to worry too much about making that realistic dystopia or whatever. But, yeah, you know, aside from that simple premise, um, there's a cyborg woman who has information that uh, the government needs to finally create a cure for the plague. And uh, her, like, the guy who was kind of leading her around and protecting her, her, like, bodyguard, is murdered by uh, the main villain Fender and his gang. And so she wants help getting back to Atlanta from, I think it's supposed to start in New York, is that right? I think so. I just remember Atlanta, 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 Atlanta. Yeah, so she asks Jean-Claude for help, and he turns her down, and then uh, she ends up being captured by the bad guys, and they want to take her to Atlanta after all, because I guess 
they want the cure for themselves or something. Mm-hmm. And then Van Damme, after the fact, decides, like, you know what? I do want to do the right thing and try and go after them and help her partially because the people that have kidnapped her also wronged him and killed right. some people he, you know, had feelings for. So so it's basically just him tracking down the bad guys in the post-apocalypse, getting into little fights here and there. I mean, it's pretty simple. Yeah. A couple little flashback scenes, and to be honest, it's kind of a pretty messed up scene of, like, how he was wronged by Fender and the bad guys. <laughs> yeah. It's a little weird. So, essentially, Jean-Claude Van Damme's character, he's, uh, what did they call Slinger. him? Slinger. Slinger. And that's a thing that apparently it was explained in um, Albert Pion's original version of the movie, why they call them that. Mm-hmm. But it was, like, cut out of the movie by Van Damme's people. So, like, the term is still in there, but it's never exactly explained why. Apparently it was like the futuristic version of a gunslinger for hire. Essentially right. that's why they're right. slingers. But Van Damme is like a loner who for money would like help people get through like these dystopian rundown cities, you know, filled with gangs and things. And so the flashbacks all show him escorting a uh, an older woman and or like a, you know, young woman and her two like young siblings to this place that's kind of remote where they can be safe. And then he decides to like stay and start a life with them. And then the scene that you're talking about, it's like Fender and his guys (laughs) tie up Mm Jean-Claude, the young woman and the, the little boy Mm -hmm. and put them in a well and then make the, the youngest girl try and hold them up. But instead of rope, it's barbed wire, and it's yeah, like slicing your hands open. And it's like, what did they expect to happen to Jean Claude and them? Like they would just be trapped in the bottom of the well and die, or something? Or just get? She'd never be able to hold on to him and drop him, and they'd break all their bones. I mean, I don't know how long, how far down a uh, well is supposed to go. <laughs> it's never but. really explained what happened to the other two, though. Either, like, you know, Jean Claude obviously got away. I think they showed the one, the older one, dead. I think she's got like a, in the well, she's like eyes open. Oh, do they? Corpse looking. Yeah, there's like one shot of that. So, yeah, kind of fucked up, but also kind of weird. Yeah, oh, sure. Because, like, if you try to think into it further, it's like, how the hell do they get them just to like sit all together while they wrapped them in barbed wire <laughs> and then lifted them all into a well? Like, it doesn't make sense. But when you, when you see it in the movie, you're like, damn, that's jacked up, dude. Have a kid have to hold their family up by barbed wire. <laughs> yeah, and then after they do that to her, they like keep her around, and she grows up to be part of their gang. Yeah, so but. that's all tied in creepy ass Fender and his blue eyes. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, it's relatively simple premise. It's just kind of like mm-hmm. a post apocalyptic road movie. A couple of fights along the way yeah, for eighty nine. It's got some pretty good fights. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's got some cool, some cool action. Yeah. When I read that about the whole uh, Van Damme was it was given like two months to edit. I didn't know like the whole part that like that meant like Albert Pune was like kicked off or like he had a whole team. I just I like read that one line and I was like watching the movie. I was like, that makes sense because there's a lot of the anyone who's seen a Van Damme movie and see like they love to edit it. So it looks like he's kicked someone like three or four times when it's really just one kick that they like. (laughs) cut fast over and over from a different, you know, from a different angle. And there's like, there's quite a bit of that in this. So I was like, oh, yeah. Well, apparently from what I was reading, uh, this isn't the only time that Van Damme, like 
Yeah. Had a project taken away from the director and re-edited himself to be like more exciting and more action centric. Mm -hmm. Cause apparently it happened on Bloodsport as well, which I find surprising considering that I, wasn't that his first movie? It was, it wasn't his first role, but that was his first like starring vehicle. Like he wasn't, he wasn't anyone before that. Yeah. That he would have the pool to be able to do that. It was a little surprising. Yeah. And then apparently it happened on hard target as well, which is John Woo, right? Yeah. Yeah. But then was hard target John Woo's first American film. Like that might have had something to do with why Van Damme I mean, was able yeah, to. I mean, to Van Damme was huge when that came out, so yeah. I mean, I a little surprising. Yeah, for sure. But yeah, I mean, all in all, for '89, I mean, this looks. It, it's funny. It looks like a Canon film, which anyone who knows Canon films like. Yeah, <laughs> that makes sense. I'll say like, that um, you know I we did a little thing the beginning of this year where you pitched me the idea of doing a uh, ninjanuary where we watched like a bunch of ninja movies over the course mm-hmm. of January. And so I've watched a good number of Canon films this year already between like the enter and revenge of the ninja franchise. And I watched all the American ninja movies and uh, man, Canon action films. I don't think I would have been able to pinpoint it before. Like, I think the first time I saw Cyborg, however many years ago, I just thought like, man, this is an awesome, like kind of low budget action movie. But they really do have a style and a feel mm-hmm. all their own. These totally. early, like these Canon films from the 80s that are action totally. movies. And yeah, I could not like believe how. You know, this is a much better and much better looking movie than most of like the American Ninja films, but it has a vibe that is it really does right on board with those. <laughs> it was wild. Um, I did not remember at all that this had like animatronic cyborg lady with like yeah. exposed brain and robot parts. There's not much of it, but it's there. There's not much, but what's there? It's kind of cool. I mean, it looks it looks like you'd expect. <laughs> for based on everything we said but that like still has like a warm place in our hearts so mm-hmm. i was like pretty excited when they pulled that out i wasn't expecting it at all yeah basically the cyborg woman um she there's a part where she pulls off her hair and mm-hmm. you see that the back of her head is like a glass thing with like robotic bits right. inside it's reminded like me a little of uh ex machina what, yeah ex machina right and then so, like, that's obviously, like, there's a little bit of stop motion in, like, the servos and things moving inside of her head. Oh, yeah. And then she turns around, and I almost would have expected them to cut and then use some kind of bald cap thing when you're looking at her from the front so that you could still use the actress. But, like, when they were showing the cyborg woman from the front without the hair on, when you're not even really seeing the missing back of her head, they still went, like, full animatronic face. Oh, yeah. Or... It was it was a stop motion face, I think, not animatronic. It was, it, yeah, it was stop motion. And I mean, it looks good, but it also looks bad at the same time. Like right. completely unbelievable. Right. Like if you showed someone like an eighteen year old that now, they'd be like, "That's terrible." But us growing up with it and then still yeah. loving it now, you're like, oh, "Okay." Like, but the thing is, if you really stop and think about it, like look back at the first Terminator movie. Oh, yeah. That scene where Arnold is, like, cutting out his own eyeball in the the mirror in the bathroom. It might as well be this. Yeah, I mean, that wasn't stop motion, but it was, like, a fake head. And nowadays, I look at it, and I'm like, I think it's really cool looking, but it's, like, so fake at the same time. right. But, I mean, that's just how they used to do things, and Mm -hmm. it's really not that different from Cyborg. 
No, totally. So I don't when know. You, I, when you think about how Arnold looks in the mirror with the eyeball pulled out, you're like, you know, he looks like he's made out of clay. I mean, yeah, it's like a really good likeness and everything, but it's obviously fake. Right. And we're just okay with that around these parts. Yeah. Quite frankly. <laughs> I'm completely fine with it. Oh, yeah. But, uh, yeah, I had forgotten that that stuff was in this movie as well. There's not much. Like, as far as, like, stop motion and or animatronic effects in this movie, there's probably a cumulative, like, 48 seconds of it. But it's there. And it's mm-hmm. interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, one. Uh, this is a totally a personal anecdote. But sit down and watch this movie. And maybe like in the opening scene, there's like Fender has like a uh, opening like monologue, mm-hmm. like where you don't see him, but it's just a yeah. It opens with this monologue, and towards the end of it, where he's like, "This is the line he goes." He's like, "I like the death, I like the misery, I like this world, or whatever." <laughs> and I'm like, I very like. That's one thing from like being younger and however many times I saw Cyborg. It's like I very like remember how he looked because he's just like he looks like a crazy mutant person anyways. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I was like, I don't remember this line at all. Like, I don't remember this voiceover at all. But I was like, why do I know that quote so well? Like, I was like, I had to stop. I like paused the movie three minutes in. I was like, what the fuck is that from? Sure enough. It's used in like the opening track of Method Man's album to Cal 2000. He like <laughs> uses that as a as a clip like he says it himself in the opening track of his album. Mm-hmm. Which I've heard a hundred times and I was yeah. like I would never would have guessed. I read ever. that. So you're saying he he says it himself. He doesn't use the actual clip right. from the movie. Sa- I don't know if it's the entire quote, but he definitely uses the like I like the death, I like the misery, I like this world. <laughs> Nice. <laughs> crazy yeah i read that i thought oh, that was pretty yeah. funny that was amazing so i was like yeah that's why i know that so damn well and all <laughs> if it back then wouldn't have realized it you know 20 years later <laughs> made a triple threat busy look <laughs> you never know what you're gonna discover oh, about God. yourself when you record an episode of this show totally yeah, so there's a, there's a couple of good action scenes like we've said throughout another thing about this movie that just makes it feel like super low budget is the fact that like that ruin of a building that they have a fight in like early-ish, like mid movie Mm -hmm. is pretty like a pretty cool location. Yeah. But then later on when they're, I don't know where the hell they were supposed to be during that second big fight, like right before they crucify Van Damme, but they use like, uh, like a a factory or like a warehouse, which was just the go-to back in the day. Like we want to have a fight scene in a cool looking place, but we don't want to have to build a set. So let's just find a, like a factory that will let us film there overnight. So there's like pipes and shit all over the walls. Right. Right. That location I wasn't as crazy about because it just gave that vibe. But, um, you know, a couple of pretty good fight scenes. And then, like I said, they fucking crucify Van Damme (laughs) on a ship's (laughs) mast. (laughs) Which is pretty wild. Yep. Um, you have that great moment in the sewer right before that where they're searching for Van Damme. And there's that one guy who's like looking for him. And then the camera pans up and uh, Jean-Claude is doing a split, like supporting yes. himself between the walls Man. of this tunnel that they're in. And then like reaches down and stabs the guy. That's pretty He's good. Never not use that split. Yeah. It's unreal. The movie, I think, looks very good. The color palette. There's a lot of like 
bright oranges and deep blues like at the end of the movie when they're having the final action in like that rainy yeah the final action in the rain is pretty awesome and it does look great yeah it's like it's like mm-hmm. nighttime so it's like very blue but then there's like fire everywhere so it's like bright orange at the same time it it looks really good and i think that's part of why despite some of the the cheesiness and the feel of like a low budget canon movie we've talked about Based on what I've seen of Albert Albert Pion, because I just recently actually watched another movie I own that he made called Blast from 1997, (laughs) which was basically Mm -hmm. him ripping Mm -hmm. off Die Hard. And that movie, uh, A, it stars the guy who played Johnny Cage in the uh, 90s Mortal Kombat movie. He's like the hero. I like it already. It's about some bad guys who take the women's American like Olympic swimming team hostage in like this pool facility and the entire film pretty much aside from exterior establishing shots takes place in a a big room with an Olympic sized pool and then a bunch of hallways, which could just be in any industrial building anywhere. Mm. Like it's just constant scenes of gunfights and fist fights and people running through hallways. And so like this movie definitely looks better than that, but I think that this is probably the best looking movie he's ever made. A quick sidebar back to Blast. Is is the pool empty or full of water? Full of water. Yeah, because it's it's a swim team and they're there to practice when they get taken hostage. I was just going to say, I was like, if if that's an empty pool and people are fighting in it, you know, then we just got to pair that with Lionheart. And then we just (laughs) need a third movie with fighting in a pool and we're got a trifecta. No, is... pool is full, no fighting actually in the pool. Yeah, all right. Although Rudger Hauer is in that film, and he plays somebody who has had both of his legs blown off by the bad guys previously, and he's in a motorized wheelchair, and at the end of the movie, he uh, <laughs> he has a bomb rigged to his motorized wheelchair, mm-hmm. and then he like rolls out of his chair and into the pool while the bomb explodes and kills the bad guy, so that <laughs> does happen. But oh, okay. That's beside the point. That has nothing to do right. with Cyborg. Well, <laughs> unfortunately. Carry on. Yeah, so... So it looks good. It's best-looking movie, you think? Yeah, I think the movie looks very good. Mm-hmm. Here's a weird uh, kind of coincidence. Um, this is the second movie that we have reviewed where uh, a member of the cast or crew lost the use of one of their eyes yes. because of filming. Man. Um, we talked before about... Um, Maximum, maximum overdrive, overdrive. Yeah. and how that poor fucking camera operator got splinters in his eye from a runaway lawn uh, lawnmower. <laughs> I don't mean to laugh at the blinding of that man, but just <laughs> the fact that this is our second movie where someone in the cast or crew has been blinded. Yeah, so there's an actor in the movie named Jason Pinckney, and uh, during a fight scene with Van Damme, he was blinded in one eye when Van Damme accidentally hit him in the face with a fake knife. Mm-hmm. And uh, he sued Van Damme and was awarded uh, $485,000 in a settlement. Millsy, how bad would you feel if you blinded someone by accident? I would feel horrible. (laughs) I don't know if I could function after that. But uh, I don't know. Van Damme seemed to have gone on with his life. I mean, sometimes there's enough money can... I don't know. It's like I wonder. Like, hey, Van Damme, does that keep you up nights? (laughs) I know it was an accident, but you blinded that guy. It's just another thing, like, imagine being that person, and then someone's like, oh, how'd you lose your eye? <laughs> and you either had to say, on the set of Maximum Overdrive or the set of Albert Pion's Cyborg. Right. <laughs> it was just a little unfortunate. Yeah. 
It's like, I wonder if, you know, it's like a guy that sees Van Damme somewhere and Van Damme has no idea who he is. <laughs> this guy's walking around one eye because of him decades later. I'm sure Van Damme goes out of his way not to cross paths with this guy. Oh, well, maybe. We'll have to find out someday when Triple Threat hits the uh, red carpet. <laughs> Van Damme, someday. Van Damme, over here, over here. We've got one <laughs> question for you. Do you remember the guy you blinded in Cyborg? <laughs> you might get a good kick to the face if you try and do that. Yeah. So there were a couple sequels to Cyborg, uh, none of which I've mm-hmm. seen. I've been wanting to watch the second one because it actually stars Angelina Jolie in her first acting role, unless you count when she was seven years old and played a child in one of her father, John Voight's movies, uh, Looking to Get Out in 1982. Ooh. I would say that does not count. Yeah, but like her first actual, like, I'm an actress and I'm starring in something, like her Mm -hmm. first credit aside from that older movie is Cyborg 2, which also stars Elias Coteus, Jack Palance, and Billy Drago. I was just going to say, I know the, I've never seen it. I know the poster well, just because I know, I remember her, and then it's like a giant head, and it's Jack (laughs) Palance. Yeah. But I've wanted to see that for a while just to be like, man, Angelina Jolie's first movie where she plays, I think she plays the cyborg in that movie. But mm-hmm. uh, then there is, so that came out in uh, 93, four years after the original cyborg. And then there's another sequel, Cyborg 3, The Recycler. Oh boy. Which came out in 94 and stars Malcolm McDowell, who's another actor kind of like Rudger Hauer, who's like a big name and has been in some like big noteworthy things, but then just seems to slum it in the most terrible garbage in between. And um, Zach Galligan from Gremlins is also in that one. Oh, okay. If only we had a podcast where we watch movies, we might be able to figure out a way to watch Cyborg 2. Triple Threat might find a way. <laughs> and uh, last anecdote I have about this film is actually it has a personal connection. Which I completely forgot about this until I rewatched the movie and I was um I was watching the interview with Albert Pyun on the, the Blu-ray. So like I said, Albert Pyun had the edit taken away from him. And uh then I guess for years he wanted to do a director's cut, but there was like some lost footage from his version or something. So in 2011, Albert Pyun was able to get his hands on that lost footage and re-edited Cyborg into a director's cut complete with new music. And I remember hearing about this in 2011. And uh, the way that you could get your hands on a copy of this movie was to contact Albert Pyun's production company, Kernan Films, directly. Mm-hmm. which I actually did. What? And I completely forgot about this until I watched that documentary. What? And then, so I went into my email and you know me. You have everything. I never delete anything. <laughs> so I searched Albert Pyun in my email and I found that old email from 2011. Stop. Where I inquired about a copy of the movie. I never did end up buying it. Mm-hmm. But uh, this was the email I received. (laughs) Oh, my God. What? (laughs) Uh, Cyborg Director's Cut is an all-region DVD from a tape from a work print of the Director's Cut 
telescened in 1988. It's like looking over the director's shoulder. It is rough and picture quality does not warrant a Blu-ray unless you want a Blu-ray for its durability. Add $10 to the cost for Blu-ray, but we do not recommend it. Mm. The cost is for Albert Pion's autograph, a DVD case set with the new low-budget feature Bullet Face, also with Tony (laughs) Ripperetti's soundtrack on the cut, not a separate soundtrack, a low-budget crime noir thriller with horror elements. It is Pion's most recent release. Uh, Cyborg Director's Cut is a free extra. (laughs) This is not a studio release and is only suitable for diehard Cyborg fans who want uh, Albert's Director's Cut. If you have any doubts about owning this film, then please, all caps, do not purchase. We cannot handle returns unless the DVD is defective. Wow. It was uh, $25 shipped. And I don't know why, but I I did not go through with it. I didn't order it. I mean, but, it um, feels like I don't even know Millsy of 2011. <laughs> I mean, it was a different time, 2011, me. Yeah. You know? I mean, Millsy 2020 is... Oh, I would have bought that immediately. Not even thinking twice. And so, of course, I tried going to the website, <laughs> and uh, it doesn't exist anymore. Ah. And, um, but there was a link in the email to a, like, like five-minute clip of the movie... Uh, the director's cut and the link still worked and it took me to Vimeo and I watched it and I think I might have watched this back then and it could be the reason I didn't order it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the scene where Van Damme is crucified to the boat, right? To the ship's mast. Albert Pion's version of the film opened with like, with a shot of that with like some dialogue over top of it. Uh, I guess before it would like cut back to the beginning of the movie or whatever. And the picture quality is fucking mm. awful. And I don't mean just like grainy or something, but it's like so blown out that it's like if I hadn't just watched the movie a couple days before, yeah. I don't know if I would have recognized the footage. Like they literally like videotaped a TV. I, I don't even know how to describe it, but it was just like Terrible. it was so just like blown out by light that Van Damme was essentially pure white with like a little bit of orange around the edges of him. Like you could hardly tell what you were looking at. Maybe 2011 Millsies make it more sense then. <laughs> I don't know what the whole movie would have looked like, but the fact that the email literally says like, this is for diehard fans yeah. only. If you're not sure, do not purchase yeah. in all You've caps. Never heard such a thing. Makes me think that they know like, if if we just go shipping this to everybody and they don't know what they're in yeah. for, people are going to be pissed at us. No one would ever like tell you there's an option to upsell, but then tell you not to do it. Like yeah. The also, the fact that they weren't just selling it straight up and they were including it as a quote unquote special feature right. on yeah. this other movie, Bullet Face, that nobody wants to see, <laughs> right. like makes me think that you know they also felt bad about just selling it yeah. by itself. And we're like, if you want it, buy our other movies. So at least you're getting something we are proud of. Or, well, of course I want to know, see Bullet endorse. Face now, but right. Then. <laughs> yeah, but man, I, I completely forgot about that. And then when I'm watching oh. that documentary and he's talking about like wanting to, or his director's cut, I was like, holy shit, I fucking emailed them about this. I, Millsy. I mean, the stuff that comes out of the show, I mean, I mean, there's been times where I would be like, Millsy, you're crazy. You've kept every email you've ever sent or received. Not anymore. 
I'm yeah. fully on board. <laughs> uh, so I'm crazy, oh, but every now and then that it, is uh, glorious. it helps us out. So uh, I don't know if there's much more to say about Cyborg. I mean, it's a lot of, covered a lot. It's a good time. I'll give it that. Yeah, uh, I dig the film. I mean, I'm predisposed to enjoying, you know, 80s, 90s action sure. films of questionable. Of course. I mean, you know, yeah. Quality. Right, right. But I, I'm down I mean, with Cyborg. Yeah. I mean, everything gets graded on a curve here. It's fine. Absolutely. Next up from 1992, we have Universal Soldier. Hey, you got enough money to pay for all this? You know, money, cash, dollars, dinero. got ourselves a deadbeat back here. What? He can't pay. Hey, punk, I've been slaving all day making that slop. The food is good. Fucking it is. The question is, how are you going to pay for it? I don't know. <laughs> you don't know, ain't that cute? I'm gonna bust your head, punk. I don't want to hurt you. <laughs> Me? You don't want to hurt Hank? One of the rare instances where two of our 80s action heroes are actually in the same film together. Mm-hmm. Uh, doesn't happen that often, especially with the big ones. Um, right. Yeah, I mean, if you want to call Dolph Lundgren one of the big ones, but. Uh, big-ish or popular or, how, uh, you know, an, a known face. Yeah. You pretty much have this with Van Damme and Lundgren. You have Rocky Four with... Stallone and Lundgren, mm-hmm. you get like obviously Carl Weathers and Stallone in a couple movies. You get Carl Weathers in uh, Predator right. with Schwarzenegger. Mm-hmm. I mean, I guess you could say not that I ever. I know that he's been in a bunch of action movies, but I have never thought of Kurt Russell as an action star. Like he's not in that same camp as like the Stallones and the Schwarzeneggers to me. But him and Stallone are in uh, Tango and Cash together. Yeah, I mean, he's got some stuff. He's close. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't happen all that often though. Right. This is one of the big ones because mm-hmm. it's like, you know, good guy and bad guy, two top build actors in the movie. Oh yeah, they were big at the time. So, I mean, Universal Soldier is a tale as old as time at this point. I mean, it was probably one of the first movies of its kind, but it's essentially about soldiers who died, and then there's a government operation where they take their bodies and like wipe their memories and mm-hmm. basically do a wolverine weapon x to them yeah and then turn them into super soldiers and all seems to be gravy for the government until their memories start to come back to them and then they fight back against their the people controlling them totally uh i mean this is essentially the same exact plot of as a bloodshot which got a movie like a year Mm -hmm. or two ago now 
I mean, it's Winter Soldier. It's yeah, it's and there's plenty of. It's got pop a culture. little bit of like Wolverine in there. Like I said, it's got a little bit of Captain America in there with like the mm-hmm. Super Soldier thing. But oh yeah, as far as like big budget mainstream filmmaking, this is probably the first, or at least the first big example of it. Yeah. Like, I would think this is the movie that everybody would compare the other ones to, mm-hmm. you know. You got a breakdown on, like, uh, money for this one? What it cost, what uh, it made? Budget, $23 million, box office, 95 is what I read. I mean, 95 is, that's pretty big for, uh, what was this, 90, 92? Mm-hmm. That's a lot of scratch. Yeah, I did see in a couple of places that it made over $100 million, but the number on Wikipedia was 95. Oh, close enough. I mean, five times over. I mean, that's going to be big regardless, whatever year it is. Yeah. So this was a, you know, a pretty big success. Um, Was this the, I think this might have been the first American film directed by Roland Emmerich, who's uh, German. Oh, yeah, because this is 92. I mean, he's super known for Independence Day, and that was what, 95, 96? Yeah, something like that. I mean, so he did, uh, I believe this is in chronological order. He would have done Stargate after this. And then Independence Day, the U.S. Godzilla, that's like 98. And then the Patriot with Mel Gibson, I think, was like 2000-ish. And then moving on to Day After Tomorrow, 10,000 B.C., 2012, White House Down, Independence Day Resurgence, and some other ones in there that I didn't bother to Man, Universe is the trifecta of Universal Soldier, Stargate, Independence Day. Yes. Some good stuff. That is a hell of a track record right there. Big time. Big time. I mean, have we gotten into it how much I love Stargate? I don't know if we have, but I'm right there with you. Man, love that movie. Yeah. Got to get that on a a trio at some point, I imagine. Ooh, we. Let me write that down. (laughs) I mean, I... We have so many at this point, I can't remember them all, but I have to imagine that that is uh, in a trio already, so. but if I'd not... I'd actually be like in Paris for us if it's not. But If not, we will rectify it. Mm-hmm. Moon 44 is the movie he did directly before Universal Soldier. That might have been an American film, but it was kind of a low-budget movie with Michael Pere and oh, Malcolm McDowell, who, again, does a lot of low-budget trash in between the couple <laughs> sure, of good he movies sure does. he's done. Yeah, so, I, you know, Universal Soldier, essentially his first, like, big yeah. American film. And, uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that this movie, you know, it's not quite on the same level as something like T2. Mm-hmm. But I think this movie holds up incredibly well as just, like, an entertaining, you know, sort of formulaic, but in that way that's, like, warm and comfortable yes. that I like kind mm-hmm. of action film. Action sci-fi, you know, light on the sci-fi, but right. plenty of action. I mean, it's actually got a ton of action. It opens like back-to-back action scenes, one in the pat, one in Vietnam, one in the present day. Yeah, the one on the um the dam. Yeah, which is like a cool scene, which I'm pretty sure I used to like act out with GI Joes like on my couch. <laughs> like, I always loved watching those guys rappel down oh, the uh yeah, the side of the dam. And just like this was just like totally in my wheelhouse at the time with my age and just like like super soldiers and like the sci-fi bits and you know they're getting the injections and just you know <laughs> yeah. they got their little the little camera doohickeys like desert camo rolling around in a cool truck that, yeah. that giant crazy truck they got which like yeah that like mobile laboratory yeah because it's cool and i'm like 
like any other movie, you know, sometimes they could just be like, oh, they'll just get a big tractor trailer and paint it all black, all set. Like, that's probably what it is in, like, Predator 2, you know? But in this <laughs> yeah. one, they got, like, it's, like, legit, like, all cladded out in armor, and the trailer opens up, and I'm, like, I'm always into, like, movie car stuff, so. Yeah, I love the way that when it stops and it's going to be, like, in the spot for a while and they need to use the lab, like, the the sides yeah. extend out. Mm-hmm. Like yeah, it's kind of, it's home. like a unique, interesting vehicle. Yeah, it's not just, like, big black box. Like. And it's a case of, like... <laughs> Uh, if you watch Aliens, the uh, the APC that the Marines ride mm-hmm. around in, mm-hmm. there's they have to crouch a little bit, like bend when they're inside of it. But then when you see them standing next to it, like outside of the vehicle, they're all taller than the APC. Right. So it's like obviously the interior of this was a set, yeah. and it's the same thing here because the inside of this thing looks enormous when you're oh, in yeah. it. So yeah. I don't buy that it's the same vehicle, yeah. but it's cool looking no matter yeah. what. Like, I don't care. Like them even showing that it's like it extends out the sides is enough for like when you're inside and it's like a freaking uh, conference room. Yeah. It's like a full blown laboratory yeah. with like that, that freezer chamber with oh, all the yeah. chairs in it that they yeah. have to sit in. And Yeah. It's just, I mean, that's where you could suspend the disbelief and you're just like, whatever. I'm all, I'm all in at this point with this role like <laughs> laboratory. Yeah. And I think um, this is an instance where, you know, people like to make fun of the fact that Arnold Schwarzenegger isn't the most, like, isn't the best actor in the world. And like, oh, well, Terminator was made for him because he just has to act like a robot. Uh, I think that that sort of works in Van Damme's favor a little bit here. Oh, yeah. Because through most of the movie, he's just kind of like a wide-eyed child. Yeah, he doesn't know what, like, barely knows what food is or, uh, (laughs) you know, being naked, walking around naked isn't weird and... Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. the whole thing. But then on the flip side, I think that this is like one of my favorite, if not the best, Dolph Lundgren performance. I mean, I haven't, I can't say I've seen a ton of Dolph Lundgren movies, but between this, Rocky Four, and The Punisher, I feel like those are like his biggest ones <laughs> that I can think of offhand. And yeah. yeah, I mean, there's, I mean, he tries, you know, he does his version of like charisma of like lunatic. <laughs> Yeah, vet well, charisma. It's like he's he like you know Van Dam. He's like you know more of a normal size human. He's like you know attractive dude. Aside from that weird fucking lump on his forehead, whatever the hell that thing is. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I can see why he's more of like the leading man, love interest kind of character in these kind of movies. Whereas Dolph Lundgren, you know, he's so big and imposing looking you just expect him to have a scowl on his face all the time i feel like acting ability aside he got typecast in like the strong silent type like what does he have like two lines in uh in rocky four yeah i will break you and maybe another one <laughs> um yeah and then like in the punisher mm-hmm. you know he's very like strong silent type barely ever says anything in that movie but in this you know roland emmerich let him off the fucking chain oh, and time I love watching him like say stupid puns like I'm all ears and shit and <laughs> act so he's so crazy in this. Uh, he's nuts. Uh, just dude, just when he's like that like you said when he says I'm all ears and he's wiggling a ch- ch- a necklace full of ears, you're just like yeah. Double longer. Like that's like forever etched in my brain. <laughs> Yeah, like I was expecting him to say it in the opening scene and then like the whole movie I was waiting for it and then when he finally does it I was like, "Yes, there it is." Like, you'd never think, like, oh, just, hey, you want to see a, a shootout in a supermarket with Dolph Lundgren? Like, yeah. 
Universal Soldiers. <laughs> oh man, I mean, so for anybody who doesn't know, doesn't remember, hasn't seen this, uh, part of the thing is like they they're essentially like overclocking these soldiers, and that's how they're essentially they're not like cyborgs or robots or anything. They're like zombies, basically. Like they were brought back from the dead mm-hmm. and they can like regenerate their bodies. But for like the explanation that they give for whatever reason is that they have to be cold. So like if somebody's injured, you like throw them in a bathtub, fill it with ice and then they'll regenerate their wounds and they'll be good to go. Mm-hmm. I love that part later on where, uh, Dolph Lundgren has like taken over the operation and killed the, like the general in command. And then uh, a couple of his like fellow uh, like zombie soldiers get injured, mm-hmm. and then like as a desperate attempt to bring them back to life, he fucking drags them into that grocery yeah. store. They're like dead, uh-huh. and he like kicks in the door of the like meat freezer in the back of the right. the store and pulls them in oh, there. I love that part. Oh, it's so good. It's so good. And then he goes on a fucking tirade to all the customers oh, yeah. about like Vietnam because he doesn't realize the war is not yeah. over and. Cause he's like, like he's going crazy remembering, but he's like, you don't know if he just thinks he's still in Nam or not. Where Van Dam, when he's starting, he like makes more sense to them that he's been gone for decades. Mm-hmm. But well, know. they said there is a line in the movie about, um, you know, when they died, Van Dam knew that uh, it was like time for him to go home. So like that's all he wants to do when they resurrect oh, him no, is he just wants right. to go yeah, home. Yeah. And Lundgren was like didn't want to leave and he was happy to be there because he was like a psychopath who just liked hurting people. So it's like when they resurrect him, he's still that. Right. No, yeah, right. There's that, that line about him just wanting to go home. Yeah. Cause they don't really get into, which is probably, is probably good for the movie. They don't really get into like the science of like what was done to them. It's just no memories, whatever the serum is. It makes them basically super soldiers that just run really hot. Yeah. And then keep them cold. And I guess it's just, like you said, they're overclocked or something. That's why, you know, uh, Van Damme's the first one to start, like, getting his memory back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even, like, in my memory, I would have told you that that stuff that uh, they're injecting themselves with, like, that Lundgren has all the syringes, mm-hmm. I would have thought that's, like, whatever the serum is that, like, you know, brings them back to life or whatever. But they literally say in the movie it's just muscle enhancers. Yeah. So they got those things and then whatever the other stuff is. But they, you know, it's not really a detriment that they don't go into like what exactly the process is. Or even then, it's kind of weird. It's kind of crazy to think like these are Vietnam um, casualties. So they've been, you know, on ice for 25 years. Yeah. (laughs) You know, so like what the program would would be easier to find bodies than like, oh, we have to. Put these guys on ice and ship them out of the well, that's Kong, I mean. like the Viet Cong. Yeah. They don't give you even a bit that they're like, oh, this Unisol program goes back 25 years. It's like, no, they're just using guys they had on ice from back then. I mean, they kind of get into it a little bit in the beginning where, you know, they're going to use those bodies for something. But mm-hmm. again, it's not really a detriment. It's not that kind of movie where you're looking for the the entire like lab um, explanation. Mm-hmm. But. I don't mean, it just moves it along. All you, they give you all you need to know. Yeah. Uh, I think one of the strengths of this movie is that it does have some humor to it as well. Mm-hmm. I mean, just between the, the silliness of Dolph Lundgren and then like the kind of weird fish out of water nature of Van Damme's character and yeah. uh, how he's palled around with the female lead. Yeah. Allie the Walker. Time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was good in it. I like her in it. 
And um, then uh, stuff like the the little motel that they stop at towards the beginning and like the, the little caricature they make out of the guy that runs the motel and his mother. Right. That stuff's kind of fun. And then like the, they do this a couple times. Like they do it again in the restaurant where it's like they have almost like a little set piece where they introduce you to like the yokels that live in this small town. And then there's like a an action scene kind of with them and a couple of jokes come from it. In the diner? Yeah. Yeah. It was a pretty good, like, beat up scene in the diner, you know? Mm-hmm. He's like, I just want to eat. <laughs> <laughs> just want to eat. Oh, dude, I was going to say, I mean, this guy is totally a that guy actor. The sh- the, the cook in that scene, mm-hmm. he's, like, always, like, goon number three in, like, movies <laughs> from the time. You know who I'm talking about? I'm trying to think. I know the guy you're talking about. I don't know if I recognized him from anything else, but oh, I know man, who you're talking about. So many things. He's totally like, a, like even, it's like hard to even call him that guy actor because it's like, is blinking you miss him? But yeah, I got his name right here. His name is Alan Graff, G-R-A-F. He's got that crazy mustache. Uh, Quickly, he's got 217 credits for stunts. Jeez. I mean, steady working in 124 actor credits. What, be, what are some highlights? Is there anything that stands uh, out? Or well, Let's give you, because I know I've just seen him so many times. Um, let's just jump back to a bunch of TV stuff. 85, Brewster's Millions. Um, a bunch of Magnum PI, 18. Oh, he's in Over the Top, which is, hmm. uh, so he does, this would be another appearance on Triple Threat. Uh, he's in RoboCop. All right. He's in Red Heat. Hmm. I mean, Tales from the Crypt. He's Total Recall. He's one of the henchmen. Jesus. Yeah. He's one of like the henchmen that like uh, that works with uh, Sharon Stone. You know, like in that scene where, uh, yeah, he's Hank the Cook in this. <laughs> Guy's in the. He's bus driver and the specialist. <laughs> Convoy driver, last man standing, wife beater in L.A. Confidential, <laughs> man with gun, boogie nights. I mean, dude, he's so been he's been around. He's, yes, totally. So Fair cheers enough. to you, Alan Graff. Yeah, didn't recognize him, but uh, he's good in this. <laughs> it's like, you know how long I've been slavering over this slop? <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, that's a fun scene. That's a fun scene. I mean... The uh, shootout at the motel is great. Mm-hmm. I mean, a thousand rounds easily em- <laughs> emptied into that building. Potentially more. <laughs> Potentially, yes. But yeah, that's a that's a fun scene where he's like busting through all the walls, and then she's like, mm-hmm. "Break through that wall!" And it's cinder block, and he just looks at her. <laughs> right. oh, so good. You've got the uh, the good like bus chase at the end in the desert. Mm-hmm. Where uh, Dolph Lundgren is like lobbing grenades into the back of the prison bus. Yes. And, and Allie Walker's chucking them out the back. <laughs> I mean, is that the same scene where like uh, when they're driving away in the car and Dolph Lundgren's in the back seat? Or is that a different scene? Dolph Lundgren's in a back seat. Oh, that's, that's at the gas station. That's at the gas earlier. station. And he does, they get him like Al Bundy dummy him right through the front of the, wind, <laughs> right, the right. windshield. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's funny because earlier in the movie, Van Damme says to her the first time they're in the truck that she should put on her seatbelt. Mm-hmm. And then when they get in the car again, mm-hmm. like right before that happens, he mentions the seatbelt. And then as soon as you see 
the part where uh, Lundgren flies through the windshield, you're like, oh, well, that's why they were yeah. setting that up so oh, hard. So good. I think he even says like he should have worn his seatbelt or something like that. <laughs> yeah, it is so good. But no, at, at the at the end, um, it's like Dolph Lundgren has taken over that big uh, lab truck thing that they have, mm. and they're chasing the prison bus as uh, Ali Walker and Jean Claude are trapped in the back of it. And uh, I just think that's a fun scene as he's like hanging out the side of the lab truck and just like lobbing grenades into the uh, the prison bus. Right. And she's like grabbing them and throwing them out just in time that they all explode right on like the back of the bus. Would have killed her five times over. Yeah, but, totally. Uh, yeah, that's that's a fun scene that I always forget about every time I watch the movie for some reason. And then. Uh, on to the end with uh, Jean-Claude's parents. Mm-hmm. His elderly father played by Ron Howard's dad, oh. Rance Howard. Who is just like straight up stereotypical like Midwestern farmer. And then it's his French mom. That's how he's got the accent. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's obviously a thing that they added in the movie oh, just because oh, of course. Jean-Claude has an accent. Well, like, like, well we have yeah. to explain this. So yeah. they're from Louisiana. Right. <laughs> right. But the dad is just like straight up yokel farmer. It's so good. Yeah. Millsy, I'll tell you, because I didn't, re- I don't, I watched these in chronological order. So I had Time Cop after Universal Soldier. And I didn't like, I've seen, like I said, seen them all, all three of them, like remembered bits and pieces of Time Cop and Cyborg. I'm pretty solid on Universal Soldier. But getting to the climax, I was like, man, I was like, I really hope Time Cop's got a fight in the rain at the end. Because that would be all three. That would be amazing. I believe it does. <laughs> um, funny thing about this one is like there's that sh- that part where Van Damme first comes out of the house and he like grabs that shotgun, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and he like checks to see if it's loaded and he comes outside and immediately Dolph Lundgren has like his family held hostage. And so Van Damme has to put the gun down. And I kept waiting, like, does he must go back for the gun, or like she grabs the gun to help him or something. And I don't think they ever use the gun in the scene, do they? No. Yeah, I didn't think so. And then after the fact, I was reading that apparently there is an alternate ending for the film. And I'm thinking that must be why he brings a gun outside and then it never gets used. It's like that was meant mm. for the other ending or something. Mm-hmm. Cause like I read about the other ending. I forget exactly what it was, but something about like uh, at the end, um, Van Damme is like dying and he could be saved, but he decides that he'd rather die because he he should be dead anyway or something like that. And Mm -hmm. Allie Walker was like trying to report on the story because like the, the news media shows up right at the end, but then she like drops the mic and like, you know, consoles him as he's dying or something like that. But uh, my my assumption has to be that the shotgun was there for a reason, and it's just right. not in the edit because it's right. super weird that they focus on it and then don't use it. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's always awesome watching Van Damme kick Dolph Lundgren onto that like uh, big piece of farm equipment. Oh yeah, and then it always catches me by surprise that they go there and actually turn on the farm equipment and show <laughs> chunks of Dolph Lundgren yeah. meat flying out of the top oh, of it. Yeah, no holds barred, Mills. Just. It's yeah. great. I'm I'm never expecting them to actually do that. I feel when I watch this mm-hmm. movie and then they do it and I'm like, oh yeah, they went there. I, can always, I mean, it's a great like beat em up fist fight in the end. And I can remember like there was a time 
I think like whatever whatever years it was that like all the talk was about Van Damme and Seagal and like Seagal's more like your crazy hands like mm-hmm. judo throw type stuff and it's like all about the the kicks and everything with Van Damme but I, like rewatching this again I was just like dude like Van Damme is so good at like these movies is so good with the the action like all his kicks are like extra dramatic his punches like mm-hmm I don't know if it's it's if it's him or whoever's like uh, staging it or stuff, but it always looks so good. Well, if he's the one who's going back and like re-editing all of his movies to yeah. make the action better, it must be him, right? Yeah, and get, you know, getting those like triple kicks off one kick, stuff like that. Like, I love it. I was all about it. Well, I remember I forget what movie uh, the special feature is on, but a while back I was watching something with Van Damme, and there's an interview with him about. Um, like when he first got his job at Canon, he had been like tooling around the United States for like five years in Hollywood trying to make it big and it wasn't happening. And then he got himself a meeting at Canon Films and uh, whoever it was, Golan or Globus, took a meeting with him and was like, I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm busy. So you got like two minutes, like, like, it, tell me why I should hire you. And then the way that Van Damme tells it, he like took his shirt off. And then, like, put two chairs, like, a couple feet apart and did a split between them on top of the chairs. And then uh, Golan or Globus called out to his secretary, like, bring me blood sport, basically mm-hmm. saying, like, that's how he got the job. And, I mean, that's what he's known for is, like, splits and kicks. Oh, yeah. and That's his, like, bread and butter. I mean, yeah, kickboxer. I mean, that's how he knows it. But just, like, it's, it just looks so good, too. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's yeah, I mean, that's the thing. They used to hire these guys for their physical either appearance or ability, not so much for the acting. And I mean, that's how we ended up with so many fun movies that, you know, maybe critically may not be the best things ever made. But goddamn, if I don't like watching yeah, them over and over again, I'll take the fun. Yeah. Uh, there were a couple sequels to this. I feel like we uncovered this somehow on a previous episode of Triple Threat, but there were two made-for-TV movies mm-hmm. that came out in 1998, <laughs> so a good bit after this movie, that I never knew about until recently and I desperately want to see now, called Universal Soldier 2, Brothers in Arms, and Universal Soldier 3, Unfinished Business. <laughs> the first one has Gary Busey, and both of them have Burt Reynolds. <laughs> oh. Yeah, no. So, and it's same character, Van Damme, same character, but Luke, Luke Devereaux, Devereaux, but different actor. Hmm. Uh, yeah, someone like Vincent needs to uh, do the Lord's work and put these out so I yeah. can watch them. Because then you have Universal Soldier, The Return? Yep, from 1999 with uh, Michael J. White, who actually has a like bit part in this movie as well, in the the original Universal Soldier. Oh, really? Yeah, like I didn't see him in the movie, but he plays like a soldier. He must be like one of the like non reanimated soldiers in the beginning or something. Mm-hmm. Who's like, who are these guys or whatever when they're doing the uh the attack on the dam. Um uh, but yeah, so Michael J. White, Bill Goldberg, and Xander Berkeley are all in Universal Soldier the Return, which brings back Jean Claude and uh, I saw it like way back when it came yeah, out. Yeah, me too. Haven't seen it since, but apparently it like completely disregards the TV movies. Mm-hmm. But we won't. And then uh, in 2009, uh, 
Universal Soldier Regeneration came out, directed by John Hyams, who is the son of Peter Hyams, who directed Time Cop, which we'll talk about in a little while. Ooh, okay. He did so. He did Universal Soldier Regeneration in '09, and then Universal Soldier Day of Reckoning in 2012. Uh, both of which bring back Jean Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren. Oh. And I have seen both of these. Mm-hmm. It's been a long time because I think I saw them like the years they came out. But I remember really liking the first one, Regeneration, mm-hmm. and just thinking it was like a really good action movie. And then I remember fucking hating oh. Day of Reckoning. Really? And the only way I can think of to describe it that might make sense is we all love the movie Drive by Nicholas Winding Refn, yes? Mm-hmm. It's a cool, stylish movie. It's really fun and entertaining and interesting. And then his very next movie was Only God Forgives, which, if I'm not mistaken, you are also not a fan of? Um, Yeah, I don't hate it, I think, as much as you do, but it's but no... you can see the differences between those 100, two movies. 100%. That is the kind of difference there is between Regeneration and Day of Reckoning. Like, really? It's as though he made Regeneration and it was like relatively successful and people really enjoyed it. And then he was like, all right, now I'm going to let my freak flag fly and just <laughs> yeah. make like a weird artsy like Universal Soldier movie with the next that, one. That is the best way to put the to drive and only God forgives. <laughs> That's the only way I can think of to describe it that people mm-hmm. might understand. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I'd I'd like to go back and revisit Regeneration, but uh, I mean, Day of Reckoning might be worth another look as well, just to see because I don't remember it super well. But right. I just remember there was a scene where like there was there were lights strobing, and I had to like close my eyes because it went on for so long, and I thought I was gonna have a seizure. And Whoa! It just uh, yeah, Damn, wasn't great. Can't, can't have that, Mills. In other words, I just I want to see all the Universal Soldiers. Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm right there with you. How about that? <laughs> and then uh. Final little tidbit I have about this one is that uh, Roland Emmerich and the writer Dean Devlin, who wrote Stargate, Independence Day, Godzilla, Independence Day Resurgence, all for uh, Roland Emmerich. I guess they were kind of a duo back then. They were hired to take over a sci-fi horror movie that never got made called Isobar. Mm-hmm. I-S-O-B-A-R about a genetically created monster that gets loose on a runaway train Damn. that was intended to star Sylvester Stallone and Kim Basinger. Damn. And was to be directed by Ridley Scott. Jesus. (laughs) But Ridley Scott dropped out of the project, so they came on to that. And then that project ended up falling apart under them, and that's when the studio moved them over to Universal Soldier which was originally going to be directed by Andrew Davis, who gave us The Fugitive and Under Siege, but left Universal Soldiers, so they took over that. Wow. So Six degrees of separation there. Yeah, a lot of different interesting movies could have happened if... uh, Man, Isobar sounds pretty good. I know. I want to see Sylvester Stallone fighting a genetically created monster on a runaway train all day, even if it is directed by Ridley Scott. Yeah. You'll deal with it. (laughs) But, yeah. So there's Universal Soldier. Damn. All right, all right. Uh, Time for our final film? Please. Time for our final film? Nice. Released in 1994, we have Time Cop. (laughs) 
Doesn't look too good, Lila. Let me go, Max. I'll stay here. I won't go back. Who sent you? I want the name. Can't make any difference. In a few weeks, this guy's gonna run the whole country. If he doesn't get the money here, he's gonna get it somewhere else. I can't tell you anything. He'll send somebody back to wipe out my grandparents. It'll be like I never existed. My mother, my father, my wife, my kids, my fucking cat! You ever hear the name Aaron McComb? Senator McComb? Bullshit. You don't understand. He's gonna be president. He's doing this to get money for his campaign. Shit, Max, he already owns most of the guys we work with. When we get back, you'll point them out. You're out of your mind. This guy's gonna roll right over you. We'll see. Let's go. Listen to me. If I go back and talk, my family is dead. I'm talking about my family. If I die here, it's only me. I can't go back. I have to bring you back. I have no choice. Neither do I. Now, Time Cop is based on a comic book. Did you know that? Uh, I had read that anecdote for the ep- for this episode, but I did not know that going in. You didn't know that Time Cop was a comic? No. If you had to guess, how many issues of Time Cop are there? Mm, two. You're awful close. <laughs> oh, boy. Like, if you consider that the page count of your typical comic book is 22 pages, there are technically three Time Cop comics. Really? Uh, Two of them are the two-issue adaptation of the movie. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) The only other Time Cop comics were... um, You're familiar with Dark Horse Presents? Yes. The anthology series from Dark Horse back in, like, the 80s, 90s. Mm Mm-hmm. So popular was Dark Horse Presents at a certain time that they started a second anthology series called Dark Horse Comics, like literally just named after the company. That only ran for 25 issues, but the first three issues had a story in three parts called Time Cop, Man Out of Time, uh, written by Mark Verheiden, who had written the first Aliens comics that Dark Horse put out. And also is a credited writer on the Mask movie and the movie My Name is Bruce with Bruce Campbell. Mm. And drawn by Phil Hester. So the only Time Cop comic that existed before the movie came out was this three-part anthology story in Dark Horse Comics issues one through three. That's crazy. I know. And just for the hell of it, because I have those in a box over there on the other side of my bedroom, Mm -hmm. uh, I went ahead and I read those three parts last night. Mm -hmm. And I got to tell you, they're awful. (laughs) Oh. (laughs) Do they have anything to do with this movie? uh, Sort of. It's essentially about the time cops. uh, So he's dressed differently, but he's in like a futuristic outfit. Um, his name is um, Max Walker, which is the name of Jean-Claude's character in the movie. And um, the plot of the comic is basically that uh, someone has illegally gone back in time to South Africa in 1933 to rob a diamond mine, like right as it was, like as the diamonds were discovered or whatever, so that he will then be able to jump back to the future and be like a billionaire. And so Max Walker goes back in time to stop him. In the process of trying to stop him, he accidentally leaves behind this uh, 
like killer robot bodyguard that the bad guy had with him. So he comes back to the future with the bad guy and realizes, oh, shoot, by leaving that robot in 1933, I've fucked up the time stream. So he has to go back and fight the robot. And that's really the whole story. And it's mm. it's not very good. The art's fine by Phil Hester, but... Um, yeah, I like Phil Hester. My feeling is... So Time Cop was co-created by Mark Verheiden, who, again, is a comic writer, has worked on Aliens, and Mike Richardson, who is like the publisher, like the guy who Mm -hmm. started Dark Horse Comics. Mm -hmm. I think, I I couldn't find any confirmation of this, but I think that Dark Horse and Mike Richardson must have had some kind of like first look deal with one of these movie studios back in the day because like time cop gets made with really no comics in existence. Mm -hmm. Another early dark horse movie was Dr. Giggles, which again, I think had like one comic and then a movie got made. Like it almost feels like Mike Richardson was just like making movie deals and then like doing the comics on the side after the fact. It feels like super early for this because it's very prevalent nowadays, but yeah, it just feels like, yeah, like Time Cop's a good name. Let's bust out a couple stories because we got a movie deal for it or yeah. something. So the premises are there, the concepts for Time Cop in the comic, but what, very um, different from the what movie. What movie am I thinking of that's like Killer Robots or something that was a Dark Horse comic? Virus? Yes. Is that, yep. that? Oh, okay. Was that, that was a four issue miniseries. I'm not sure if it was before. I think it was before the movie. Mm-hmm. So that might have been like an actual story that was then adapted to a film, but I've never read the comic. Gotcha. Okay. But uh, right. I mean, that was also Dark Horse's bread and butter was movie adaptations and like tie in comics. Right. Because like, you know, Marvel and DC would have some of this stuff too. More so Marvel where like Marvel put out like a Blade Runner comic and things like that back when the movies yeah, came out. Star Wars. pretty. Yeah, yeah. Far. They had yeah. Star Wars for a while there. and uh, But then Dark Horse like had long runs on stuff like Alien, Predator, Terminator, Robocop. Um, they had an Abyss comic. They did the Thing comics based on John mm-hmm. Carpenter's mm-hmm. movie. Star Trek. I mean, Star Wars. Yeah, they had Star Wars for a long time there as well after Marvel let the the license go. Um, that really was uh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That really was Dark Horse's like bread and butter yeah, for a long time. It was all there. that and Godzilla. Yeah. Yeah, and Hellboy. <laughs> um, and they also had things like, you know, The Mask, oh, yeah. which was a series of comics before the movie. And, you know, there were other creator owned things there. But yeah, a lot of what they were putting out was that. And then, like, uh, translating manga mm. into English, like The Dirty Pair and Blade of the Immortal and stuff like that. Like, mm-hmm. they were into a lot of different markets aside from just, like, regular old American superhero comics, which is interesting. But, um, right. yeah, so Time Cop, Jean-Claude Van Damme stars as Max Walker, who is about to start a job with this new police force that was created because time travel was just invented and they figure they need to police it. And uh, on the eve of him taking the job, his house is attacked and his wife is murdered in a gigantic explosion. Enormous. <laughs> like, there's no way he should have survived that. His entire fucking house blew up. <laughs> mm-hmm. And this was like a big house, like a family a home. giant Victorian house, yes. Yeah. Cut to, I think it's like 10 years in the future. It takes place mm-hmm. in 2004, I think. So, yeah, movie came out in 94, so 
Uh, takes place in 2004. He is now a 10-year veteran of the mm-hmm. TEC, the Time Enforcement yep. something. Got a mini mullet going. Yep, got his mullet. And uh, he basically learns that there is a corrupt politician who is kind of sort of in charge of like the the financial backing behind the time police, the time cops, who is uh, illegally using time travel to make money in the past that he then has in the future so he can mm-hmm. finance his campaign to run for president. Right. So he has to try and stop this guy through time. And it's a classic, like, you know, he's the only one who knows there's something going on and he like all the proof that he needs to, to like prove it to other people just keeps slipping through his fingers. And mm-hmm. there's an interesting angle that because time keeps changing and he's the one going back in time, like he remembers all the things that the bad guy's doing, but every time he changes something in the past, the people in the future, like have no recollection that this case yeah. was even ongoing. So which gets messy fast. Yeah. That stuff is all cool. That stuff breaks down very quickly. Yeah. Under any kind of uh, scrutiny at all, yeah. So, which I try—I mean, I feel like I'm a square when it comes to time travel <laughs> stuff, but I—I I can't not go crazy with this type of stuff. Not even to say like I'm smart and understand all aspects of hypothetical time travel. Yeah, but it's like the things they'll acknowledge that just don't make any sense, and it just the time stuff falls apart fast. Well, I'll say that like Terminator. Love those movies, the first two. Mm-hmm. No matter how many times I've watched them, I understand that it doesn't make sense how Kyle Reese can come back in time and become John Connor's father, right. who will totally. then grow up to send him back in time in the first place. Like, I know that doesn't make sense, but it's like, okay, I've examined it. I know it doesn't work, but it doesn't bother me because the mm-hmm. movie's so good. Right. This is a case where I can say, you know, this is Jean-Claude's best performing movie ever, made mm-hmm. over $100 million, made uh, $101 million at the box office. It's a good movie. I th- don't love it <laughs> uh, on a rewatch. And so because I'm not like fully on board with it the whole time, and I think it's kind of flawed in other ways in addition to just the logic, the logic does bug me. And this movie also, you know, it shoots for the fences a lot more with the time travel. Like the whole movie is about time travel. So there's right. tons of instances for things to not make sense. And yeah, it's like the, the, the angles they play and the roads they go down, it feels like it, it should be making more sense. Cause like so much of it like hinges on the time travel that like, but as soon as like he comes back to, you know, he comes back to the future to like 2004 and his boss is like oh we're best friends it's like everything is out the door at that point because yeah like like, we're expected to believe that you know in okay so they go back in time to 1994 bad guy changes something uh Mm -hmm. jean-claude comes back to 2004 and the time cops are still there the name of the company has changed and yeah. the boss knows Jean-Claude and has worked with him for 10 years, but in this version of the future, they're not friends, and he doesn't know that much about him. Yeah, they have no type of relationship, which but doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it's not that like Jean-Claude never worked for the time cops or something mm-hmm. like that, or the time cops don't even exist anymore or something. Right. It's like it, they don't try hard enough with the 
you know, the consequences of time travel. Yeah. To make it feel like legitimate. It just always feels like, you know, we're going to have just enough weird little fish out of water moments where things have changed so that you know that things have changed, but nothing really drastic is ever going to happen with the time stream, which just feels kind of false for an entire movie about the bad guy trying to change the time stream to alter his own personal future. Yeah, it suddenly has no stakes if that's all like the worst that can come of it. But then against me, it's like my brain. I'm just like, I'm thinking about everything. Like so much has changed. Like, how do we know he didn't, you know, anyone could have died in a car accident. It's just like, it's way too much. They play it off like jokes. Like just like in my mind, I'm thinking like a time cop remake with, and I know that, you know, minority report is, also dealing with like stopping crimes before they happen. So it's not exactly time mm-hmm. travel, but it's like in that ballpark. But I'm thinking like a modern day remake of time cop starring Tom Cruise. And so like he goes back in time, 10 years, the bad guy changes something. Tom Cruise comes back to the present and like he's, he gets out of that pod because they have like a, a vehicle that they drive really fast, almost like the mm-hmm. DeLorean and back to the future, but it's on rails that like sends them into the past. And then when they come back, the car like pulls back into our time. And like, I'm imagining like he steps out of the pod and then the time cop people are there and they're like, who are you? And it's like, totally. he never 100%. even worked for them. And then they like take him into custody and they're like, why were you in that pod? And he's trying to explain who he is. And then he has to escape and then break back yeah. in and, like they're like, how do you even know how to use this technology? Like that would be a much more exciting, exactly. thrilling. Like, that makes so much more sense, Millsy. And like that's all you have to do. Like again, I don't, I'm not smart enough to know like the ins and outs of all the science. But like, it don't like raise so many unanswerable questions for me. Like they do in this one versus yeah. like that version you just came up with. Perfect. Like who are you? Why are you here? Yeah, this movie is. It's just so casual with the time travel. Oh. And like, there's cool ideas. Like I love the part in the beginning, like our introduction to the 2004 version of Jean-Claude where there's a criminal who's going back and it's actually Van Damme's ex-partner who's going Mm -hmm. back in time to like, what was it? Like 1940s or 1920s New York. Yep. And he's like, you know, he's gone back in time and he's acting like this big time businessman and he's like buying stocks. He like takes back in time a modern newspaper, compares it to the old newspaper and buys like super cheap stocks so that he knows when he goes back into modern time, 2004, his stocks will be worth a ton of money in his name. Like, right. Like, that's a really cool scene. And then Van Damme like having to take care of it. And like when he first gets there, he's like picking up any modern technology, like the CD player that the bad guy brought back with him. And he's got to like grab the newspaper so that when he leaves, he won't leave behind traces that would, you know, indicate to people that someone was there from the future. Mm -hmm. Like all that stuff is cool. But then like anytime something really is important to the plot, time travel wise, it's like so wishy washy. Yeah. They just, it feels like, you know when they're writing it and doing it they're like oh no one will question this so we can just like make a goof out of it yeah like like it doesn't hold up to scrutiny so like i forget it like don't worry about it i that's kind of the style of the time for like an action movie like this to a degree i feel though like oh yeah they were more concerned with jean-claude's high kicks than yeah doing that ridiculous split on the uh, kitchen counter yeah, it's yeah. <laughs> right. That part was fucking hilarious. Oh, man. 
he's in his boxers and there's oh. water on the ground and the guy's going to yeah. try and taser him. So yeah. at the last second, he jumps up off the floor and does a split on the corner of mm-hmm. the kitchen counter and the guy electrocutes himself totally. in the pool of water. That was good. Um, I'll say like watching this, I felt it, it doesn't make sense to say it. It feels like almost low budget, but it's like there's not a lot to it. Like as far as like scenes and setups, yeah, twenty-seven million dollar budget, just uh, like five million more than um, Universal Soldier. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like yeah, you feel yeah. the budget way more in Universal Soldier, totally, because it feels totally. like I mean, an epic scale thing. Yeah, and they're blowing stuff up and everything. But in this one, it's like there's one futuristic car. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's kind of like he goes back to the twenties, and it's really just like clothes. Yeah, and some like old cars in the street. I mean, when he tries to capture the the senator in in back in time in '94, they're just like in some factory. Yep. You know, whatever the the TEC headquarters is, like, like whatever. Two rooms with like computer yeah. monitors. And... I mean, it looks like they had to build up something for the the time machine. You know, the the car thing with the mm-hmm. whatever that room is, and then. It's back to the house. And then they the blow up the house. house. Yeah. yeah. So it's like, there's not much to this movie. Like, I was almost like, I was like, I feel like this movie could have been longer, which is not a thing I usually say. It's only, it's, I think it's like an hour 39 or something. Yeah. I think that part of that is because with time travel and with the setup of the concept in this movie, you expect there to be more to it. But then the plot mm-hmm. and the story is so simple and kind of boneheaded totally that yeah i expect a movie like this to be more complicated and have to have more time for exposition and characters figuring out problems but it like it's like a great premise for a movie and that's why i say i think that a a, like a remake these days that with like more tension and more excitement i mean your simple fix that you came up with on the fly already makes it so much better yeah it just that like logically feels like Maybe that's just for me watching so many fucking movies and so many like sci-fi action movies, but that is what it feels like it should be. And there's a part of me that's like, but the charm is that it's a 90s movie with Van Damme who's just there to like kick people. Mm -hmm. But with time travel, it's something that's so complicated. You expect the story to be more important than like the fisticuffs, but it'd be great if they could have had like a, you know, a cross between the two that worked better. Yeah, I mean, even like I feel compared to the other two and just his his uh, filmography in general, like I don't feel like the action is like yeah on par with a lot of his stuff. I would agree. There's not as much like straight up fighting action. Like no. the scene in the warehouse is okay. Yeah, it's kind of like I didn't think there was much. To that. Probably the best one is in the apartment where he does the super split. <laughs> that is good. I felt that the end of the movie where they're fighting when it's like raining and they're at the house mm-hmm. and the lights are out. It was like too dark and it was like, Jean-Claude can do this stuff. Why does it have to be so dark so I can hardly tell what's happening? It was was very dark. I felt like there's tons of just like people walking around. And let me tell you, one of the most ridiculous things I I found from this movie was the guns that the bad guys had. Mm -hmm. Did you notice that they were like, I kept looking and it's like, it's so dark. Oh, but are you talking like, about the pistol with a fucking mag light strapped to the top yes, of it? Yes, <laughs> in the fuck? Yeah, the bad guy has like a normal sized pistol, but it's like a a mag light that would take is, like four D batteries in the it handle. It's flat out like a cop flashlight. Yeah, just on top of like a nine millimeter handgun. Yeah, it's almost twice as long as the gun. It's like the type of flashlight that Jean Benet Ramsey's brother beat her to death with. <laughs> Whoa. 
(laughs) Sure. (laughs) That's the story I believe anyway. But strapped to the top of a pistol. It's huge. I was like, that is a cop's flashlight. On top, I was, and I think I paused it and I looked and I was like, it was in the silhouette. And I was yeah, like, when the guy's going up the stairs at the end. Yeah. I noticed that too. <laughs> I was like, I've never seen that before in my life. It's so ridiculous looking. The flashlight's like three times as big as the gun. <laughs> so, dude, it's, it's hanging off the front and the back of the gun. It's so long. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yo, like how hard it would be to hold that thing. That was hilarious. Oh my god, that fucking gun. I couldn't believe it. One of my favorite stylistic things about the movie is that right along with Jean-Claude's haircut, like apparently the way to tell that you're 10 years in the future is that everybody has ridiculous long hair. Ridiculous mullets shaved on the side. (laughs) Yeah, like curly mullets, straight mullets, just mullets galore. The fight in the apartment is probably like the best fight in the thing, as ridiculous as it is, because it's like guys getting electrocuted by tasers Mm -hmm. and super splits. It's got like one of the craziest quote unquote knife fights I feel like I've ever seen. Do you remember the one guy, Van Damme basically sits there and just holds a knife out in front of him while the one guy just like keeps swiping his his two knives back and forth at that? That's not jumping to mind, but I mean, I feel like people oh just wildly God. waving knives around is a typical oh, like action movie thing. If you can thing. rewatch that part, because you're going to laugh, Millie, because it's like really like... <laughs> 20 seconds of Van Damme's just got his arm straight out holding out the knife. And the guy could have done anything to stab or swipe at him. But all he does is like, ching, 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 off that knife. <laughs> it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, no, I didn't take notice of that. But oh god, I believe it. It's there. But yeah, I, I don't know. I All told, like it, his most expensive movie we watched, his most successful movie we watched... I don't know if I've just been spoiled by so many good, like, sci-fi time travel movies in the years since this came out mm-hmm. or since I last watched it. But, um, yeah, a little on the, the blasé side for me. Yeah. I mean, like, again, I don't even think it's me, like, as a time travel snob or anything because I don't, like, I'm not looking to, like, be wowed with the science. It's just, like, don't make it, like, sloppy, which this feels like it's sloppy for me. Yeah. And that that that's a that that is a detriment for this entire movie for me. Yeah, I just I think it just comes down to the fact that they were trying to make like a big action blockbuster that happened to have time travel right. instead of yeah. really focusing on the time travel stuff. You, like it, when you just like break it down to like it's just about a senator going to get cash for his presidential run, it's mm-hmm. like it's not that that's not the most exciting thing for me. Yeah. There are you know, there's things that I dig about it like um <laughs> I I like the whole rule of like the same matter can't occupy the same space. And oh, yeah. so at the end of the movie, when Ron Silver touches himself and turns into like a hideous 1994 blob. CG blob. Yeah. That just disappears eventually. Yeah. Um, that's like the one thing I remembered from the movie. Mm-hmm. That's a you good know. moment. Oh, yeah. They, you know, there is some early CG in this. There's that. There's whenever they come through time, it's like time Big water ripples. ripples. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I'll tell you one thing that does bug me <clears throat> is, uh, you know, the time travel, when they go back in time, they get into this capsule. Oh, I'm already, I'm already with you because I know what you're going to say. <laughs> and 100%. the capsule fucking back to the future speeds towards a, like a wall, like a crash test dummy car mm-hmm. and disappears. And then when mm-hmm. you cut to the past, they just, the people, sans car, either fall out of the sky above like a river or... Like Van Damme comes like 
stumbling walking, forward yeah. out of the time ripple as though he's like slowing down from having run. Where'd the car go? Totally. And then when they, when they, like, okay, I'll buy the idea that, like, okay, you go back in time with some complicated process, but then you have, like, this little box. And as long as you have the box, when you press a button, that, like, sucks you back to where you came from. Right. But right. then again, like, you leave on foot through a ripple, mm-hmm. and then you appear in the future in the car that is now turned the opposite yeah. direction, rocketing down the rails the other way. Just, it makes zero sense. What? And uh, 99 of 100 people probably watch and be like, who cares? I can't help but care. <laughs> it drives me nuts. It's so it makes me nonsensical. Happened, I was like, this is... I mean, I didn't think their car thing was great anyway. It's like, it was funny because yeah. it's like, they're trying to make this look like it's going really fast and it's not. And it's like sparking and this fire shooting out of it, but still moving pretty slow. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Yeah, it's like the uh, the old Batmobile designs on TV and yes. in movies where there'd be fire shooting out of the back. And that's supposed to make it seem like it's going fast, but the car's moving normal speed. Like, that's not a rocket <laughs> yeah. engine. That's just well, some fire coming out of a hole right. in the back of the car. And then t- totally, when they first show that it's like how it works, and I think they show him in it, and then he just like appears over the body of water and falls in the water. I was like, oh, fuck off. Like, yeah. And the funny like, thing why? is it's even explained better in the comic because in the comic, you they do get into like a capsule like that, like the car. It looks pretty similar. And then they go back in time and the car appears back in time with you. And the purpose of the car, they explain in the comic, is like when you go back in time, you don't know, like, are you going to crash into a tree or are you going to appear like half inside a building? Mm. And so the car is meant to protect the person inside. Makes total sense. Like that even makes sense. And then like when he gets out of the car, similar to the little box that the person carries that sucks them back into the future, the car has something like that, where once you've gotten out of the car, you can send it back to the future. Mm. Like that makes it's not the best idea. It's kind of complicated unnecessarily, but it makes more sense than the movie version. Yeah. But like do that. But then like when you're coming home, you don't need the car thing. You hit your box on your jacket and whatever you walk through the portal. Not like you walk into a portable and suddenly you're inside this car thing. Yeah. So stupid. It's too stupid. Yeah, I agree. It makes no fucking sense. And it drove me nuts. Yeah. Totally. (laughs) 100%. Handshake. (laughs) There was a television spinoff of this for nine episodes Ooh. in 1997 on ABC. Okay. Uh, which I never knew about. <laughs> there is also a direct-to-DVD sequel that came out in 2003 starring Jason Scott Lee called oh. Time Cup to the Berlin Decision. Oh, boy. Which I have not seen. Like, why? Why is that necessary to have that subtitle? <laughs> Just so you know that it's, I don't know, it takes place in Berlin, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> you got me with Time Cop too. That's enough. Yeah, seriously. Like I said, though, this really is a movie that, you know, doesn't happen often. But, you know, there, there's a lot of remakes out there. Mm-hmm. And most of the time they're remaking movies that people like. Like, there was no reason to remake The Magnificent Seven because people already liked it. But then they did with big stars like Chris Pratt and... Denzel Washington, and it it was fucking terrible. Mm -hmm. Why try to remake something good when you could remake Time Cop? Like, Time Cop is a fine little movie. It's okay. Like, I'd like to own, like, a nice Blu-ray copy of it if Shout Factory or someone put it out just because I like 90s action. But, um, 
This yeah. movie is prime for a remake. Millsy, here's the quick part of the pitch. Remake Time Cop, get new actor, whoever, and you put John Clavian Dam as the uh the boss character in the movie. Perfect. Done. <laughs> Done. Do it. I would watch it. Totally. Before we wrap up on this one, I got we didn't even mention like the ending, which I don't know if you're gonna feel the same way as I do. I hate that when it's all said and done the end, he goes back to the future and suddenly there's his wife and child that's ten years old that he has no knows nothing about. Yeah, that <sighs> to live quote unquote happily ever after. I fucking hate that shit. Yeah, he comes back into the future, suddenly his wife who was dead the whole time is alive. They have a kid because yeah. she was pregnant when she died. Right. And so now the the Max Walker who's been in the whole movie is now with a wife who she's lived a life with him, mm-hmm. but he has no memory of the last 10 years with her, doesn't nope. know their child, has no memories nope. with the child. How long into that relationship after they walk happily in the house and the dad's going to make like barbecue on the grill? Like how long after that does the wife realize there's something up? And then yeah. also what happened to the version of him that she spent the last 10 years with? Right. That's what I mean. It, yeah, it. Uh, Who knows? It doesn't make any sense. You. That's a. Te- that is a terrible shit ending. That was. That is problematic to say the least. <laughs> when you, if you're like me and you start to overthink it, and it's just like, dude, you're like, there's, there's no coming back from like, oh, I just don't, I don't have those ten years of my child's life. Like, <laughs> dude, it's like a recipe for disaster. Yeah. Ugh, so bad. I agree. Not a good ending. Bad. No. Saving it a tiny bit. I thought this was a fun little uh, Easter egg. Um, the part where Van Damme is in the hospital and he's going to the cabinet to get the vial of blood. Mm-hmm. If you look close, one of the vials has the name McCready written on it. Oh. Reference to the oh, thing. Oh, hey. I like that. <laughs> They'll win back a little bit of my respect for that one. Sure. But not, not yeah. a lot. <laughs> Give him a fist bump for that. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, that's Time Cop in a nutshell. Oh, yeah, I mm-hmm. guess I should mention, we, we I said that uh, John Hyams directed the two Universal Soldier f- uh, sequels from the 2000s. Mm-hmm. So his father, Peter Hyams, directed this, is also the guy who gave us uh, such movies as 2010, the sequel to 2001. Mm. Uh, immediately after Time Cop, he made another Van Damme movie, Sudden Death. And uh, he gave us the not-so-great later Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, End of Days. But uh, get your fist ready for a bump, because Peter Hyams directed The Relic. Oh, my man. (laughs) I mean, I actually love Sudden Death as well. Mm -hmm. So there's two between that and The Relic, man. That's my guy right there. Yeah, and then uh, Peter Hyams still alive. Uh, He's pretty old at this point. The last movie he made... Uh, I guess he's retired, came out in 2013, and it once again starred Van Damme. So he went out with his mm. old buddy. All right. I think it's called Enemies Closer, which is an awful name for a movie. But Oof, Yeah, brutal. I mean, I'm sure the movie's not good anyway, so who cares? Right. Let's dive into some posties. All right. Uh, so we're starting off with Cyborg. Mm-hmm. I, this is a decent poster. It's like a pretty cool layout. I will say that because of the layout, I wish it was an illustration instead of just, like, photos. I mean, yeah, I definitely would say that about everything. But, yeah, it makes sense here because I know what you mean. 
it just looks like the kind of thing that would like be an illustrated poster. Like at a glance, I would almost think like that's a really cool illustration. But then you look yeah. closer, and it's like no, this is just like three photos superimposed on one another. But it's a cool layout. Uh, I mean, that background could even be an illustration of that crazy bridge. Yeah, I mean that probably is, but that's definitely like a photo of Van Dam and a photo yeah, of yeah. the the gang in the front. Van, D- Van Dam's got his paintball gun. Yeah. It's weird that all the guns in that movie have like multiple barrels, but they don't mm-hmm. rotate. No, of course not. I like this one. I think the color scheme is pretty good. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you see all the villains. He's him. He's there. I mean, yeah. The the yellow cyborg Van Dam. I like how it denotes in parentheses the star of blood sport. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, he's got that. I mean, it gets extra points for that cannon logo down in the bottom left. Yeah. Yeah, like decent color scheme. The blue and like kind of the brownish orange of his skin kind of reminds me of the blues and oranges in the movie. Uh, you got a bunch of people yeah. in like futuristic post-apocalyptic gear. You got that gun. You got the destroyed background, which is more involved than any like scenery we see in the actual film. I don't know what Globus sounded like, but I could just picture him like whoever he is saying something like, Jean-Claude, you got to lose the shirt. Need you shirtless for this poster. <laughs> yeah, we want people to remember that chest yeah. from Bloodsport. Yeah, because he's, he's clothed the whole time, well, except to the very end. Right? Yeah, when he gets uh, crucified. You know. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I, We didn't talk about the fact that he's crucified to a ship's mast, and he nearly kicks the, uh, the mast in half yeah. with, like, the heel of his shoe. He does end up getting, like, helped down by... Uh, the female character, but it's still hilarious to me that he almost kicks through the mast of a ship. So good. While his hands are nailed yeah. to boards. Well, he's no cyborg either. That's just all van damage. Yeah. It does have a tagline here. He's the first hero of the 21st century and he's our only hope. I mean, he's generic didn't, as hell. But... Didn't need that. Yeah. But yeah, I, uh, I'm with you. I dig yeah. this poster. I, I almost am tempted to say there's nothing that special about it, but it's just like an appealing mm-hmm. image. I don't know. Like this would be like a fun one to have, to be honest. Like yeah, just such a throwback. It's a good layout. I like the imagery. Yeah, I'm with so, you. Uh, next up, we have Universal Soldier. My big problem with this one would be that it's not it it's not indicative of the movie really. Like the movie is all kind of browns and earth tones. Takes yeah. place in the desert. They wear desert camo, and then this poster is like all blue, red, and white. <laughs> it's too goddamn dark. Yeah. I mean, even the blue is like saturated. It looks like it would take place in like a, you know, a dark post-apocalyptic future or something. Yeah, but totally. Yeah, it just it has a different vibe than the movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's crazy to have like two two names, but you can't see their faces, which isn't that bad. But <laughs> yeah, like they each have one eye covered up by that gear they wear in the movie, and then the other side of their face, where you would be able shadow. to see their eyes, are in shadow. Yeah, like for some reason. There's a giant like gun circle? in the background. I'm thinking that's a barrel. Yeah, maybe. maybe. I was thinking it was some kind of like tunnel. I don't know. There's no tunnel like that in what, the movie. Whatever it is, it's taking up like 25% of this poster for no goddamn reason. Yeah, it's just, it's just like too artistic or something. The cyborg poster is like... Okay, here's a muscular guy who's going to kick some ass and he's looking serious. And here's a bunch of bad guys and a destroyed city. Like, you know what you're mm-hmm. in for. Universal Soldier, it just, 
I don't know. It it doesn't really vibe with the film. You don't get to see enough of the actors. Mm-hmm. It's I so dark. I don't know if we've had an example this bad of two taglines that should not be together on the same poster. Almost human, almost perfect, almost under control, and the future has a bad attitude. Why? Well, for starters, this takes place in present day. Right. Like when the movie came out, this was supposed to take place like that year. What is this shit about the future has a bad attitude? And they're like, they're zombie soldiers. Like, what do you mean the bad attitude? Like the one lunatic short does, I guess. But Yeah, that's weird. Why would you have both of these on one poster? It doesn't make sense. So yeah, I mean, if you were going to keep one of the taglines, it would be almost human, almost perfect, almost under control. Uh, but that's not uh, a very strong tagline. No. Almost under control. <laughs> I mean, at least it makes more sense to the movie in that they're losing control. Yeah. But just to, but then to add it with the future has a bad attitude? <laughs> that tagline just doesn't even belong with this movie. No. Ridiculous. I don't know. It Like the image alone, discounting that it's from this movie is like fine. Like it's it's a neat like the, the color scheme and everything, but it just doesn't mm-hmm. doesn't vibe with Universal Soldier. Yeah, if this was just like a brown, like the browns and the earth tones, same image of these guys, but just like brighter without the yeah. gun thing in the background, way more makes way more sense for this. Mm-hmm. Who knows? Yeah, man. I'll agree. Like most DVD copies or Blu-ray copies, of this movie you see has a horrible cover where it's just like the two of them full figure standing kind of back to back. Do you have this on Blu-ray? I do. Mm, okay. That's not good either, but no. I mean, at least you can see the stars. Yeah, totally. Uh, then we have Time Cop, which... Time Cop just definitely feels like your corporate mandated poster. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit too much going on. Mm-hmm. Cl- big close up of the, uh, the star's face. Makes sense. That's going to happen. He's got a future gun. Okay, he's a cop. No need yeah. to superimpose a clock face over this. <laughs> right. That feels unnecessary. Lots of text. Two taglines again. Again. They killed his wife 10 years ago. There's still time to save her. And then murder is forever, dot, 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 until now. Right. So it's like, is it? Both of those taglines say the same thing. Say the same thing. Yeah, if somebody is dead, you can still save them or bring them back. Right. Like, both both taglines say the same thing. I mean, both fit the movie, but it's, like, overkill to have them both. Like, why? Yeah. I don't, like, to sit in on these meetings is something I love to hear. Like, who, who comes up with these things? Like, who comes back and says, like, this needs another tagline? Like, a, a whole new one, boss? Or like, no, 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 add a second one. Oh, okay. Like, who does that? Yeah, this looks like two posters on top of one another because the top is like the top two thirds is just big Van Damme face with a gun clock around it for no good reason. One tagline with green text at the top. And then the bottom third is like this super wide pulled out shot of what a person who hasn't seen the movie would look at and not know what the fuck they're looking at. It's like a big weird shape with light coming out from behind it and a tiny little silhouette with green text above it and another tagline. Like, <laughs> the end of the runway of the poorly yeah. thought out time uh, car thing. Yeah. I like the green. Oh, I, I like the green too. And the combination of the green and the red. Yeah. Honestly, that's all it's got going for me. But Yeah, there's not a, not a whole lot good going on here. I'm not sure what a perfect poster for this would be, but this is like so not it. 
This is like throwing everything. Yeah. God damn I mean, it. How are we going to have two movies in the same episode with two terrible taglines together? <laughs> that is crazy. We have three posters oh, and five taglines. <laughs> hey, Millsy, break it down for the people. But I think this one's pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, Cyborg, it's not the perfect poster, but I, I find it appealing and I dig it. I'm going to give Cyborg uh, four barrels for no good reason on the end yeah. of that gun. <laughs> yeah. Um, gosh, I think the other two, they're, they're not, we've seen worse. These are not like the posters for uh, Hellraiser Bloodline with like the sure. random oh. chicken for no good reason and the fucking... <laughs> <laughs> the the chains that look like they belong on a tennis bracelet. The chains in the uh, board meeting. Yeah, but um, you the know chicken. they're <laughs> <laughs> they're not that bad, but uh, they're also not great. I'm gonna again. Universal Soldier is a nice image, but I'm judging it based on like the poster for the movie we watched. Right. I think I'm gonna have to give them both two. Uh, Universal yeah. Soldier is going to get two bags of ice floating in the bathtub. And uh, king at this. <laughs> Time Cop is going to get uh, two Ron Silvers oh. melding together into a, pu- a puddle of slime. It's almost one Ron Silver blob. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Well done. Take a bow, friend. You can't see it, but I just did. Thank you. Thank you. Bye, Barbara Byrne. Bye, Barbara Byrne. Break it down for the people. This is easy. It's easy for me to say that Time Cop is going to be my burn. Mm. I don't hate it. I'm like, it's fine. It, it It is problematic because of its like lofty premise. But uh, yeah, I, I definitely think that this movie could be improved with a remake and a rewrite. Mm-hmm. Uh, no offense to Mark Verheiden, whose Alien comics mm. I did enjoy back in the day. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's going to be my burn. And for my buy, I really like Cyborg and Universal Soldier, mm-hmm. but I think that at the end of the day, the better film is just Universal Soldier. Mm. That's that's going to be my buy, and Cyborg is going to be my borrow. Like, there's some elements and style and stuff in Cyborg that I might even like more than Universal Soldier, but yep. between Dolph Lundgren's performance in uh, Universal Soldier, the really good action with, like, you know, Cyborg has some cool fighting, but, I mean, Universal Soldier has, like, car chases and explosions right. and stuff. And right. It's a little more generic, you know, mainstream blockbuster type affair, but I just find it really fun. It's, like, a super easy watch, and, uh, you know, I've always liked it. Cyborg, it's closer than it probably ever thought it would get to yeah. <laughs> being my buy. But um, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna buy Universal Soldier, borrow Cyborg, and burn Time Cop. Well done. I'm losing. Not surprising at all. I'm right there with you. Same oh. same deal here. I was surprised. I had a feeling that it would be opposite. I'd be like, from what I remembered of Cyborg, I liked it when I was younger, but I had a feeling it was just like wasn't gonna hold up for me. And like I didn't really remember much from Time Cop, but I just like expected like that mid nineties. Huh, you know, yeah. he's in his, he's in his prime mm-hmm. like action movie, and it was kind of it was totally the opposite. I mean, Universal Soldier is like just big fun, big action. You know, it's it's got every scene it needs, and it's like it's like a, the it's the right amount of action and sci fi together. 
I mean, it really is. I'm with you. And I mean, just no offense to Albert Pion, but I mean, Roland Emmerich, even early in his career. Oh, yeah. Uh, just a better better handle on this stuff, better director in general. Yeah, he also had more to work with. For sure. But he had a knack for it. But yeah, I mean, Cyborg, not, not perfect by any means. I mean, it's rough around the edges, but it's got that can and charm. Yeah. And there's like, and just from an action point of view, the what action is in it to me is so much better than the action that's in Time Cop. Yeah, no, I would agree. Time Cop, it just it feels like they were like, ah, oh, we've got Jean Claude Van Damme. He's a big name. That's right. enough. Like we don't have to yeah, try exactly. with the story, and we don't have yeah. to try with the fight choreography. And if you go, please, based on that that statement alone, go back and watch that knife fight with the <laughs> super split, and you'll be like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Like. John Claude is enough, and it really wasn't. So. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's no Abraxas, but you know, yeah, no, definitely it, not. It, it's a burn all day. It's nowhere near Abraxas. <laughs> yeah, I've got. I Time Cop turned into a frustrating watch for me, and it's just. Yeah, I was excited because I didn't remember a lot about it, and it had been a while. Like mm-hmm. I say, it'd probably been close oh, yeah, to like twenty years since I watched it with Brian when we were in like high school or whatever. Oh, but same here. I was excited so, for his Time Cop. Yeah, I sat down and I'm watching it, and I I'm not sure exactly what point in the movie, but there definitely was a point where like my excitement turned to like, all right, well, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. It at some point I just realized, oh, it's never going to be what I yeah. thought it was going to be. I think but, for me it might have been an inkling, but when he went back to 2004 and the boss was was surprised they were best friends, I was like, oh fuck, this movie, this <laughs> this is going to yeah. go down <laughs> downhill fast, and then it just. The cherry on top was that ending with the my unknown son, you know. Yeah. By that point, I think I was like resigned to like, yeah, this is just an average movie. And so it didn't, I didn't like that part, but it didn't like yeah, change anything for me. I was already like, nah, this is, <laughs> this is a pretty middle of the road film. There we go. So. High five, Millsy. Uh, hey. Well, we're going to take our typical six week break as we mm. are now at the end of season four before we begin season five but somehow uh, made it through four seasons amazing yeah many more to come hopefully but uh-huh. uh you know we can go ahead and tease people with what they're gonna see or rather hear from us sure. in uh six weeks we sure can how so, many episodes uh, we got Millsy? we have 235 potential themes 235 what's random number jenny got for us this time 79, Millsy, 79. Ooh, 79, early-ish. All right. Uh, theme oh. for <laughs> theme for oh. the beginning of season five, scratching, spraying, and surfing. Man, very excited. <laughs> uh, I can say this is one of your themes. It is. And uh, for a change, I'm pretty clueless, so. And you've seen none of these. I honestly only kind of know what they are because you once explained to me what this was when you originally pitched it. <laughs> yes, season so, five, baby. Yeah. A whole new world for me here. All right. All right. Cool, cool, so, cool. Right there alongside me, come back in six weeks and find out what scratching, sprain, and surfing means. <laughs> yeah, boy. All right, Millsy. That's going to do it. Triple that theater. I'm Joe Daxberger. And I'm Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.